0: Welcome to The Labor of Love, a podcast about marriage, family, and making peace with the people we live with. I'm Lori Leibovich, editor of RealSimple.com. With summer rapidly winding down and the new school year already in full swing in many parts of the country, we thought it was a good time to talk about stress, particularly the stresses that plague families as they get used to new school schedules and the pressures that come with school. Joining me today to talk about what parents can do to help their children stay cool under these pressures, and how they too can remain cool-headed, is Denise Pope, a senior lecturer at the Stanford University Graduate School of Education and co-author of the new book, Overloaded and Underprepared, Strategies for Stronger Schools and Healthy, Successful Kids. Hi, Denise. Hi. Also on the show today is Michelle Cambolis a Vancouver-based child and family therapist and the author of Generation Stressed, Play-Based Tools to Help Your Child Overcome Anxiety. Welcome, Michelle.
1: Oh, thank you, Lori. Thank you for having me on.
0: So I want to start with a recent study that I'm sure both of you are aware of, which found that elementary school kids are receiving up to three times too much homework, and as they reach high school, the pressures are only increasing. I wanted to ask you both, what are some telltale signs that kids are stressed or overwhelmed? What should parents be looking out
1: for? Stress really shows up in such a wide variety of ways. And it can be hard to identify because it's an internalizing problem. So often we see stress showing up through difficulty sleeping. In fact, 44% of children at this time of year will say that they're having a hard time sleeping at night due to stress. It also shows up in headaches, stomach aches, medical problems. And often when children are having difficulty at school, there can be an underlying anxiety to that too. When we see changes in behavior like irritability and temper tantrums, that can be a red flag for stress. So there are a really wide variety of different ways that stress can express itself, and it's so important for parents to be aware of those warning signals.
0: And Denise, what are the best ways for parents to help their children deal with school-related anxiety and the anxiety that comes with the added pressures of homework and other things like that?
2: There's a lot of different things that a parent can do, one of which is being aware, as Michelle said, of the telltale signs. Another is to really listen to your kid. When your child is complaining about school, if they're complaining about work, if they don't want to go to school, there are things that a parent can do to find out what's really at the base of this. Is this because there is a teacher issue or a bully issue? Is this person not feeling that she's adequate or able to meet the expectations put upon her? So one of the things that we ask parents to do is, one, listen to their kids, but two, really make sure that the kids are getting enough sleep, make sure that they're in the right classes, that they're having the right, sort of what we call the just right challenge. So if they've got way too much homework or if they're way too overscheduled with classes, and extracurriculars after school, those are issues that need to be addressed by the parent as well.
0: So when kids are stressed, it obviously can have a domino effect on the rest of the family, most, most importantly, parents who get really stressed on behalf of their kids and obviously don't want to see their children suffering. How can we keep, how can we help families, Michelle, keep stress from spiraling out of control at this time of year, but really throughout the year?
1: We're we're definitely living in a culture of stress, but there's so much that we can do to really empower ourselves and empower our families in the face of it. And and one of the things that I have families do is a, a stress audit. That means taking a look at some of the the variables in family life that can really buffer us in the face of stress. And some of that might mean uh, looking at nutrition and how much exercise you're getting, asking yourselves, are we putting down our iPads and, and going out and playing? So often now technology crowds out some of those really important life practices that really help keep stress and anxiety at bay. So we can teach children, we can teach ourselves that when we change our thinking and we change our actions, we can actually build resilience. So another activity that I have parents do is really help children to externalize their stress. Yes, through conversation and being available to whatever's showing up with your child, but also you know, starting the conversation and giving opportunities to release whatever worries or stress they might be carrying. So one of the things that we do is we create worry walls where children can write down their worries and their stressors on sticky notes and create worry walls in the home.
0: Denise, we know that one of the buffers against stress and one of the buffers against all kinds of things is to get adequate sleep. And one of the things that you address in your new book is how sleep deprived our kids are and how distressing that is and how it has so many negative impacts. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: When you're sleep deprived, and kids need a lot of sleep. I mean, I think one thing that the parents don't understand is just how much sleep kids need. If you, if you go by the National Sleep Foundation, little kids, kindergartner, first, second, third, they may need up to 12 hours of sleep. Sometimes kindergartners need 13. As you get into older grades, it goes down to about 11, 10. By the time you're in middle school... It can be anywhere around 9 to 10. And then in high school, it's anywhere from 8 to 10. Most people assume that high schoolers need about 9. So it's almost impossible. In our study, we see middle school and high school kids very much sleep deprived, not getting nearly enough sleep. And some of the things you have to be on the lookout for is, are they overscheduled? Is there too much that they're taking on in a day that's causing sleep deprivation, that's causing them not to go to bed? Are they stressed or anxious, which can also be associated with sleep deprivation? Are they on social media late at night where the actual melatonin gets changed because of the blue light of the screens? Not only is it a distraction just because they want to stay up later and chat with their friends, but there's actually something physically going on to keep them up. So there's a lot of reasons why kids might not get the sleep they need, and the issue is... Which of these things is, is sort of causing it? What can you as a parent do? Is it that they're overscheduled? Is it that they're on you know, their devices? Is it that they're anxious? What's kind of the core cause and how can you make those changes? Because in the long run, when they're not getting sleep, it's associated with greater incidence of depression and anxiety, sleep deprivation is, but it's also associated with things like you get sick more often and it takes you longer to, to fight it off. It's associated with weight gain and it's associated with some memory loss So that old Mm -hmm. adage of you want them to do better in school, you know, on the test the next day, go ahead and get a good night's sleep, that's actually true.
0: So, Denise, if the reason that children are sleep deprived is because of all of the homework they're getting, which this study that I mentioned at the beginning suggests that there's so much homework that that could be impacting sleep, what is a parent to do? They want their child to perform well and do what they're supposed to be doing at school. But if it's at the root of a sleep issue, what is a parent supposed to do there?
2: It's a tough question because a parent can advocate on behalf of their kid and they can go to the individual teacher and say, "Listen, here's what we're seeing. It's taking Jackie this many hours each night to do homework and can you help us figure out is that something is that how long it should be taking?" Obviously, the answer to that is is no, but you have to go to the teacher respectfully and let them know what's going on. A lot of the times, the teachers have no idea that it's taking kids that long. One of the things that Challenge success at my organization that we do is we actually have teachers have students do homework in class as a way to show them... When you're not exhausted, when it's not 8 o'clock at night, when you don't have all the other distractions of technology, et cetera, going on, you can be a lot more productive. And -hmm. it also shows the teachers that the kids, when they are starting the homework without distractions, how much of this is... I don't understand how to do this and that's why it's taking me so long or I'm spending time on the wrong things. So you have to start that dialogue with the teacher in a respectful way to let them know what's going on and then there's things that we do with the schools to help them look at what is an appropriate and healthy homework load.
0: When parents are dealing with the beginning of school and just sort of managing schedules and so on and dinners and getting kids out the door, What's a way? I think that's often for families managing children is a point can be a point of contention between couples because there's a lot of back and forth about who's going to do what. Why didn't you do this? It's not my job to do X. What are some suggestions that both of you might have for couples who are managing stressful, you know, lives themselves and also trying to stay on top of their kids' stressful school lives? How can they work together to be better? equipped to deal with all of it?
1: One of my biggest recommendations is really to plan ahead. So when parents are proactively having those conversations, it's highly, highly preventative. When couples troubleshoot, they're not only preventing problems, they're taking the time to come together in a united way. And it's really through that connection and working relationship that parents are able to then really move through whatever difficulties that they might be facing at this time and throughout the entire school year so during those conversations it's really important that the parents are just curious uh about what's showing up in one another and and empathic about the the stress that each might be struggling with so we usually start with really general questions like what goals do we want to set together this year and, uh, and then move to the more specific, like how are we going to manage morning routine or the use of technology? How can we schedule in self-care time? And that scheduling is really important. I'm a big fan of the whiteboard, and I've seen family life really transform <laughs> just by simply creating a visual schedule where everyone knows what's going on, where they need to be, and, um, and it really can ground family life. And a key to that is really scheduling, self-care, time, and time together. I agree with everything that Michelle
2: is saying. One of the things that I talk about, and my husband and I talk about this a lot too, but we say to parents is you've got to keep the big picture in mind. You want Mm -hmm. to be on the same page as your partner in terms of your core values and what's really important. So is it really important to have a gourmet home-cooked meal every night or can some nights and some busy times be less gourmet, make sure that it's healthy but it doesn't have to be, you know, so fancy? What are, what are the things that are really important to you and your family? What are your core values? One of the things we have families do is actually write a mission statement and, and, and kind of what in the long run do we hope our kids become? What are some of the values that we want to see in our kids and in our family? And then how does our day-to-day life match or not match that? And what are some changes we can make? If you have the big picture in mind, it's the little stuff. So, you know, a missed homework assignment or not enough time for, for piano practice, those all kind of become little things as you keep the big pictures in mind.
0: Denise, how can couples work together to manage the homework? I think it's, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of parents who find that their biggest conflicts with their children are over two things, either homework or technology, and they fight about screen time and homework time. And I wondered, how, what is a way that, that parents can work together to manage those particular
2: stresses? When it comes to homework, for little kids, for elementary school kids, the parent role is very specific. You're responsible for making sure they have time in their day, a quiet space to work, and all the materials needed. But you are not the homework corrector, grader, tutor. And once you realize that your role as an adult vis-a-vis homework is not to be the person sitting down every night next to the kid, not to be the nighttime police or the nighttime teacher, it takes a big load off of both parents. Now, there are going to be times when your kids need some extra help, they have a question, they're frustrated, maybe they're not doing their homework without you policing. That's when you have to take it to the teacher. It is not your responsibility to make sure that, your homework, that the homework is getting done. That's really between the teacher and the kid. You've got to let the teacher know that you are not going to be the enforcer. What are ways that we can get around that? Some really positive things that we've found is when a kid has a homework contract, They actually, we actually ask the teachers to do this, but there's no reason why you can't do it just at home for yourself as a parent and as a family. When is the time I'm going to do my homework on Mondays? Where am I going to do it? Am I going to do it before or after a snack, before or after basketball practice? And what should happen if I don't get it done on Mondays? And you set up a contract for every day of the week because it might be different times on different days, and and you have the kid weigh in as to when is the best time that they should be doing their homework and about how much they have each week, you can kind of gauge that. So the more you can bring the children into the discussion and the teacher into the discussion and take it off of your role, I think it's a huge help for for parents, especially for, for those homes where it becomes a huge stress every night and there's not necessarily time to get it all done.
1: I think sometimes as parents one of the most powerful things that we can do is really help our kids to figure out what their blocks to learning might be. And instead of being the, the homework police, which I see so often um, on a day to day basis at the clinic that I work at, when parents Abandon that role and instead really connect with their child or their youth in order to find out what's going on for them around learning. Then um, that's incredibly effective because then the child themselves can start to ask, "What's in the what's getting in the way of my ability to focus? How am I managing my distractions? What do I need to change in my own process so that I'm more successful?"
2: You know, and, Laurie, we use an analogy at Challenge Success where, you know, if you picture parents on a soccer field, right, your, your role is to stand and cheer. You're going to make sure that they've got their cleats. You're going to make sure that they get to the field on time. You're going to work to get them, uh, you know, into the right program. But you would never run out onto the field, <laughs> lift your child's leg, and help them kick right. the ball. So you really great. should not be touching the homework. It is not your problem.
0: That is a great analogy. Denise, you've written a lot about helicopter parenting and the ways that being overly coddling our children can actually lead to more stress for our kids. Could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yes. Very well-meaning parents are doing things that are actually bad for the ultimate big picture goal of a happy, healthy, independent, thriving child. So some of the things that we do um, out of love is we, let's say we do the kids' chores for them. So they're busy, they're tired, we want them to get good grades and give them extra time to study for the test, so we'll do the dishes or empty the dishwasher. And it's really sending the wrong message to our kids. We are not helping to create independent, thriving future adults every time we take away something that they can do themselves. And we're sending a message that you need an adult here and that you're not independent and you're not worthy. We're not letting them take the important risks they need to take. So there's certain things that we tell tell parents And Madeline Levine is great about this when she says don't do something for your child that he or she can do themselves and don't do something that he or she can almost do for themselves because that's how they learn to do it. Give them some independence. Let them walk down the street and play with a buddy without you walking down the street. Let them make decisions and maybe make some faulty decisions and some mistakes, but they'll be their own decisions and their own mistakes. And certainly when it comes to schoolwork, you've got to stop getting involved in places that you really shouldn't be. It's the child's work, not yours.
0: Michelle, you've written a lot about how technology has affected work-life balance and contributes to at-home stress, this idea that we're always available as parents to our workplaces and we're constantly getting dinged on our phones and checking our email and social media it's not just kids who are screen obsessed, it's parents too. How can the entire family disconnect and connect together in real life? And I would imagine that doing so would alleviate some of our stresses.
1: Yes, technology is having a massive impact on family life and it's really crowding out connection, which is probably the worst part. And that constant divided attention makes it really difficult to just be present and aware of what's happening between us so we talk a lot about technology management and helping children to understand the the impact of technology on their on their life on their on their relationship with themselves and and their relationship with people around them and when children learn about the um, the brain changes that are happening with technology it's a lot better to get it's a lot easier to get the buy-in when we're looking at putting in a structure where there are blackout times for technology. So, first of all, getting the buy-in and explaining the why behind the change is really important. And from there, it's a family decision. So, perhaps it's important to put telephones away during dinner time. Maybe all of technology is put aside until there's been that connecting time after school, activities are done, homework is done, you've had dinner together, which is a great buffer against stress, and then there's a little bit of technology time afterwards, you know, as a a self-reward. But that needs to be an ongoing conversation, and um, this will be something that families will need to really be mindful of as, as you know, until the end of time, really, it's not going away. So management is key.
2: Lori, we have something that might help at Challenge Success. It's a mnemonic aid called PDF, and it doesn't stand for portable document format. It actually stands for playtime, downtime, family time. If you look at the protective factors for kids in the research, so what leads eventually to a healthy and independent self-regulating child, They need time for free play, free unstructured play. That's not when they're doing homework. They need time for downtime, which is sleep, but also transitions, right? You can't just go boom, 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 boom all day without any kind of downtime, time to chill, time to reflect, time to rest. And they need family time. As Michelle said, family dinners can be a huge buffer. It doesn't have to be dinner if that doesn't work with your family. But every kid needs PDF every day. And if you plan those times in, technology can be a part of that, right? Sometimes kids like to play on technology, certainly older kids, or they like to create with technology. Sometimes family time can be a a joint movie, right? But most of the time, PDF has to be not plugged in. Playtime, downtime, family time. Every day is one way to serve as a real buffer against the stress and anxiety and kind of push, push, push in our fast-paced culture.
0: Thanks, both of you, so much for being here today. I've been talking to Denise Pope, author of the new book, Overloaded and Underprepared Strategies for Stronger Schools and Healthy, Successful Kids, and Michelle Cambolis, author of Generation Stressed, Play-Based Tools to Help Your Child Overcome Anxiety thanks both of you so much.
1: Thanks for having us on, Lori. Thanks, Lori.
0: Thanks so much for joining me today on The Labor of Love. If you have a domestic quandary and would like to be a guest on our show, or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please email us at tlolpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to thank our producer, Tim Einenkel. If you enjoyed the episode, please review and subscribe on iTunes, where you'll also find three more podcasts from Real Simple. You can subscribe to The Labor of Love at itunes.com panoply or at panoply.fm. I'm Lori Leibovitch, and I'll see you next time on The Labor of Love.